Welcome to McKinsey on Government. Each episode examines one of the hardest problems facing government today and solutions from McKinsey experts and other leaders. I'm the host of McKinsey on Government, Francis Rose. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility issues are top of mind for leaders all across government. That's the focus of this week's McKinsey on Government episode. Nora Gardner is a senior partner in McKinsey's Washington, D.C. office. Nora, welcome. It's great to talk to you. You wrote recently there's a strong business case for diversity. That's a different way of looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion than people have done for a long time. What is that business case, and how can a public sector leader apply that? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Great to be with you and looking forward to the conversation. Um, we have done research and really believe in the business case for diversity. Um, what I mean when I say that is that we've been um, tracking in the private sector company performance for many years and seeing how that correlates with uh, diversity. And in fact, we can show that more diverse companies happen to also be better at financial performance and delivering value to shareholders. How do you apply that shareholder concept in the public sector context? It's obviously different for a federal agency compared to a company, but the outcomes that I imagine uh, a private sector leaders thinking about regarding uh, the value to shareholders, value to citizens is probably on the same line, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the, the concept translates, and in fact, um, in my view, uh, translates even more fully when you think about mission outcomes for public sector agencies. Of course, public sector agencies pay attention to efficiency and effectiveness of what they do. And so those performance levers, you know, apply. Um, but what they do is so incredibly important and has so much impact. It's also very, very close to uh, citizens and residents' lives. And so all of the logic that would hold about reflecting your customer um, are even more important, I would argue, in a mission delivery context. So in that in that context, Nora, it, I think there's two phases or two elements that a public sector leaders thinking about. One is the workforce that she's leading, whether that reflects the citizens that that organization is serving. And the other is the actual service delivery and the way that that service is delivered to people all across the spectrum of all of the the different ways that one thinks of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are the concept, this is real philosophical, maybe too philosophical, but is are the concepts that one thinks about in DEI the same in the internal considerations that one makes as opposed to the external considerations that one makes? Uh, they are absolutely related. And, you know, um, some of this has to do with um, you know, pure representation and reflecting those those who you serve or those who you seek to serve. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, they're absolutely related. Um, but part of that business case for diversity um, is also ensuring that you get uh, creativity, innovation, different ways of thinking. Um, and you know that, of course, um, comes when you have um, a variety of perspectives, backgrounds, and you have an environment which unlocks that to the benefit of the outcomes you're seeking. Um, so these are very related. What's been, I think, really exciting about this moment um, is that we're seeing companies and private and public sector organizations 
really starting to link these much more closely together um, and starting to, of course, think about um, employee experience uh, and outcomes, but really starting to connect the dots to what they do, the change they're trying to affect in the world, the people they serve, and also, um, you know, if it makes sense, the policies they put out, um, you know, the, um, the thought leadership they, they put out, and leading organizations um, really don't see those as mutually exclusive, but they start to get um, reinforcement and synergy among those. And so, you know, it's a really wonderful moment um, when we see organizations and agencies really connecting those dots more fully um, and, and, you know, seeing the, the connection between a great employee environment leads to a better, um, you know, mission outcomes leads to um, a better nation for all of us. There are a lot of dots for leaders to connect now, too, at the federal level. There is the executive order on diversity, equity, and inclusion from the White House. The president's management agenda vision references it, I've, if I recall correctly, maybe a half dozen times throughout the three main pillars of the PMA vision. So there's a lot of stuff here for leaders to work through. What is the best process by which that leader should take the pieces and put them together into something that forms a strategy. The key to this is um, connecting those dots and seeing things as reinforcing, as opposed to looking at this as yet another thing I've got to do. Um, because, yeah, you know, you got to take care of your employees. And in some cases, our leaders in the public sector are leading huge workforces, right? So that's in and of itself a lot. Then you're thinking about, okay, what's my plan on diversity, equity, inclusion? Then what's my plan on equity and outcomes? And all of a sudden, you know, that can um, not feel very reinforcing and can feel like uh, way, way too much to do. So um, one thing is to change that mindset and, um, and see those connections. The leaders who do that um, uh, are usually... Um, it, it actually is about the way they, uh, they, they view their source of meaning and what they're trying to do and not just um, the sort of plan that they have in place, but how they lead. Um, and, and for those, you know, when it's a little bit like, you know, that when you see it, um, but when, when you see leaders who, um, you know, pull that source of meaning all the way through, not just the tactics of what they do, but how they are, it's really inspirational and, and um, you know, creates a, a better environment for everybody. Given that there are some folks who might take this as just another responsibility that one has, how do you do this in a sustainable way rather than just let's put a structure in place and then let it sit there and not really pay attention to it? It sounds like this is something that needs to be nurtured on an ongoing basis. Uh, it, it's a plant that needs to be watered, not just something you put on the table and, and let it go. Absolutely. And when we see this done well, there's a few conditions in place. One is that, um, you know, it's really helpful, if not necessary, to have senior leader commitment. Um, and, you know, I, I just can't understate how important that is. And we see that in our work with private sector entities as well. Um, you know, it's also um, important to recognize that these are really challenging times that we're in right now um, with the pandemic. 
um, with people juggling many, many responsibilities. Um, and we do now see um, a lot of burnout happening. And I'm sorry to say that we see that differentially happening. So when we look at, um, you know, who's stepping up to do DE&I work, um, we see women stepping up to do that more than their male colleagues and male leaders. Um, and that that work is not always recognized um, formally, even though it's exactly the work that this moment requires, you know, of course, because of the executive order and all the strains we're under, but also just because of the, um, the strains that working through this pandemic, virtual work and juggling everything that's happening um, uh, has, has, um, has caused for, for leaders. Just the three concepts, diversity, equity, inclusion, I wonder if we don't do a disservice by clustering them all together because they're not the same thing. And I, I, I wonder if a little differentiation before we proceed much farther is useful because for a long time, when I would talk to leaders in the federal government, the discussion was around diversity and inclusion. Uh, yep. Started with diversity, inclusion got added, now equity is part of the conversation. And that evolution, I think, is probably instructive to folks who are trying to figure out what the next thing is that they should do or what the next five things are they should do. Yeah, the concepts are different. They're reinforcing, as you said, but I think it's really important to clarify what, what they mean. Um, when we say diversity, you know, there we're really talking about representation. Um, and so there you do see that data and numbers are, are helpful to look at, um, but that can be diversity in many forms. So uh, gender representation, racial and ethnic representation, differing abilities, um, LGBTQ+, um, so there's many, and, and um, uh, diversity of thought, background, and lived experience. So there's many ways to think about diversity, but there you're looking at representation. And um, inclusion is more about the environment. Um, is there a sense of belonging? Does every colleague feel comfortable um, uh, sharing? Do they feel comfortable bringing their full self to work and thriving um, in, in a team? And then equity um, is actually about um, both fairness and, and um, similar outcomes regardless of, um, of starting position. Now, as I said, those are different concepts but very reinforcing. Um, we talked about the business case for diversity early on. And we said, you know, the business case is that when more diverse teams lead to higher performance, um, they do so when uh, there's an environment of inclusion, which allows to, to kind of um, make the most of that diversity. And, you know, generally speaking, um, you get more equitable outcomes in those situations. And if you're not, then you want to take a look and find out why. So you sent me some uh, notes here about what public and social sector leaders can do. We've talked about the first one. You have four. The first one was building on the energy that we've seen from the PMA and the EO on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and so on. The second one that you put down was recognizing and rewarding positive contributions to DEI and well-being. Does that get more challenging 
more difficult in the work environment that a lot of people are working in right now? What's the impact that the remote work environment's having broadly on these concepts? Yeah, absolutely. This has been just a really challenging time, although um, we can talk about this. It's also been a time of experimentation and flexibility. And, you know, for many, um, certainly for many federal employees, it's, you know, that has had some positives. Um, absolutely. But we do see um, increasing levels of burnout, stress. Um, people are dealing with really challenging personal situations. The missions of many institutions are, you know, totally key to, to being on the front lines of, um, of helping us through this pandemic. So, you know, you think about that, there's just a lot of, of stress in our system. Um, and what we see in our research, as I mentioned, is, um, you know, some leaders and employees really stepping up to do more. And what are they doing? Um, they are checking in on their employees. They are helping to um, offer ways to manage workload and stress. Um, you know, they are um, supporting and sponsoring colleagues in, in employee research gr resource groups. Um, you know, and so, and, and we don't, and, and that's, ex as I mentioned, exactly um, what we need from leaders, employees, um, and, and public servants right now. Um, so we would really like to see that effort um, recognized and rewarded of course, celebrated, um, but also formally so in, um, you know, performance reviews, um, uh, et cetera. Another element that you pointed out to me is building allyship and educating about anti-racism. Define allyship, what makes a good ally in these kinds of uh, situations and these kinds of issues, Nora? Yeah, allyship um, is... Um, uh, extremely important. Um, in our research, we've also talked about mentorship and sponsorship, you know, very important to give great advice, to create opportunities as sponsors. Allyship is really um, stepping up um, in support of colleagues who identify in another group um, to, um, uh, to support them, create opportunities for them, uh, speak up when you see uh, negative behaviors, and also, you know, amplify and, and lift them up. Um, the thing about allyship in our research is that, number one, it, it actually works. So we do research on um, the employee experience and how that differs between women and men and um, uh, women of color, et cetera. And um, we see that women of color who have allies have more positive experiences at work and fewer negative experiences at work. And in fact, they're on par with the experience of, um, of all employees. So allyship works. Also, many, many people want to be allies and increasing numbers. So um, 70, 80% of employees report that they identify as an ally and want to be an ally. The challenge is when we then ask about action, we do not see those same uh, employees actually taking the actions that I described, um, which are so very important um, to those colleagues. Uh, it's a case, I guess, of I'd, I wouldn't mind being that, but I'm not sure I'm crazy about doing that, right? How do you change that dynamic? Is there something that, that 
can happen in the workplace that moves somebody from being willing to be that to being willing to do that? Absolutely. And, you know, um, uh, one thing is just educating allies on um, actions they can take and also which actions would be most important to the people they're trying to support. Um, We see some agencies, companies, organizations also, you know, setting up formal allyship programs and even training. Um, And in fact, um, you know, when we look at higher performing um, companies and organizations, um, they are uh, more likely to have um, instituted a program like this. You know, so it's really just trying to understand how do you identify um, or and how do you intervene um, in a productive way, in a constructive way, um, when you see um, othering behavior or you see someone's credibility being challenged and how can you really um, uh, support colleagues in a, in a positive way. So it, we, we actually think that, you know, that the positive intent is, is real um, and it's not for lack of trying, but I think, you know, people don't always know uh, exactly what to do and to do so with, with confidence and that it will be appreciated. The last item on the punch list that you sent me is normalizing employee support and flexibility. And you have a footnote. Also be wary of solutions gone wrong. For example, excluding virtual colleagues. That strikes me that that's probably uh, behavioral and not intent. It's just since we're all kind of navigating a, a new world, uh, it's it sounds like you intended that as more a reminder. Don't forget about these people. Not that there's some kind of abnormal situation uh, that's going on right now. Am I on the right track? Yeah. So on that, I mean, virtual work has been so interesting, right? Um, on the one hand, so we've been doing research on experience uh, in the workplace for a long time, and the number one thing pre-pandemic, um, in particular, that women said they wanted and needed in order to make their lives work and their working lives work was flexibility. Um, and that, as I mentioned, that for many federal employees, it was not something that they were able to access. Um, and moving to virtual work, at least for those um, uh, jobs who were able to do that, in some cases held real promise of being that very flexibility that you know we all want and need. Um, but flexibility without boundaries um, you know, can lead to feeling like you have to be always on, um, you know, a little more conscious of differences and therefore doing even more uh, to sort of make that up. Um, Also, you know, we've been doing a lot of um, looking into people's lives through a video screen. Uh, On the one hand, that's really uh, humanizing and wonderful. You see people's pets, their home lives, their, um, you know, the, the interruptions and that, that is, um, on the one hand, really nice from an inclusion point of view, but that can actually accentuate differences if you're not careful about it. And also, as we move into a world where we're doing a little more hybrid, coming in a little, um, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't um, uh, exacerbate differences around those preferences. Uh, final thought, Nora, I appreciate your time today. Of those four things, 
building on positive energy from the top, uh, referencing the executive order and the PMA and others, recognizing and rewarding positive contributions to DEI and well-being, building allyship and educating about anti-racism, normalizing employee support and flexibility. Those aren't progressive steps, are they? You don't do one and then do the next and then do the third and the fourth. That's a collaboration of things that one does all at the same time, right? Absolutely. It's an all of the above. Um, not, not, they're all necessary, but um, uh, not, not individually sufficient. Um, and, you know, it's really important that um, all leaders and all of us um, step up and do this and see it as our role and our job. Um, you know, we, we of course want to reward and recognize those who are checking in on each other, who are leading, who are um, doing this important work, but it's, a, it's all of our job as well. Nora Gardner, it's great to talk to you today. A terrific conversation. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Francis. You've been listening to McKinsey on Government, a presentation of McKinsey and Company. You can subscribe to get every episode of this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your shows. I'm the host of McKinsey on Government, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.